kids are back in school after the pandemic, but what are the long-term impacts on our children? In partnership with the American Leadership Forum, three educational experts share their insights on what they learned during the pandemic and how education will be permanently changed by the experience. Tiffany, take us back to the first day that you were back in the classroom. What was that day and that experience like for you and your and the children you teach? It was pretty incredible to be back in person. It was fun to see our friends, to see them uh, in the classroom. Uh, and But it was a little strange. It was a little quiet. Uh, everybody, uh, of course, was wearing masks. And so they had been used to seeing each, all of their peers uh, virtually uh, without masks. So it was you know, figuring out who was who when we had our masks on. But overall, it was just a great sense of joy with people being back in person, able to see each other and to get back to what they know and love. And, and Gail, you're the superintendent of all of Placer County's schools. And I'm curious, when, when everyone was starting to come back, and I know that not everybody started back at the same time, what was going through you and your staff's minds in terms of really reigniting the educational experience for the children you all serve? Um, I think it was really important when the schools started to resume in-person instruction to figure out what learning had taken place uh, via distance learning uh, and where the gaps were in the assessment. Um, in, the, in the beginning, prior to the vaccines, we were really focused on a healthy school environment. What did a healthy school environment look like? It had spacing in the classroom. It had students and staff wearing masks. It had um, you know, uh, increased air filtration system. So we put a lot of effort into the operational mechanics of the physical space that the students were in. But once we conquered those barriers, it was really the educational staff had to figure out where were the kids achieving at that point in time? And was there substantial learning losses? Or in some cases, uh, did students maintain their academic progress? And so uh, the education staff and the school staff really focused in on that. What did, and, you, find, what did you find in terms of that assessment? Well, we found um, in Placer County specifically that there was learning loss. There wasn't as much learning loss in the area of English language arts um, as we anticipated. So if you look overall uh, test scores uh, wise, if we're comparing what our test scores were countywide before COVID and then the year following COVID, we dropped about five percentage points, which I think everybody was a little like surprised that we were anticipating that it was going to be a, a greater drop. Where we did see a substantial drop was in uh, the math scores. And we, we dropped about 11 points in our county uh, on, on, laugh, on laugh math assessments. That and sounds so significant. And that, I think, is actually indi indicative of what was happening statewide. I mean, maybe not necessarily... Um, the the actual scores, but there was a big difference between the students' uh, attainment and mastery of math skills. And we would hear that anecdotally from our staff, from our parents, um, and from our schools. And then when the state assessment came out, and the state assessment was a fraction of what the state assessment used to look like. So it was just a small battery assessment. 
Um, so I always like to tell people we were comparing apples to crab apples. So it was kind of the same, but not really. Um, and that assessment did show that at least in Placer County, about 11% drop uh, in mastery in the area of math. Hmm. Steve, you're the superintendent of Visions in Education Charter School, and you serve uh, thousands of kids across a, a fairly large geography. Your experience is a little bit different because you've already been dealing with technology. Tell us about how this experience impacted or didn't impact your kids. Well, Visions is definitely a, a unique setting. Uh, we are a charter school. We serve about 7,000 students in nine counties. Uh, we're authorized by the San Juan Unified School District here in Sacramento County. Uh, we, we do serve the contiguous counties around us. Uh, and so we, we are we're what we call a non-classroom-based charter school. Um, so we don't have physical buildings or schools or classrooms. Uh, so our teachers will actually meet their students in their homes. Uh, we'll meet them at a Starbucks, at a library, uh, at parks. Um, so we're a little, we were better off uh, because we didn't have that classroom where we didn't have this uh, solely switch to distance learning because a lot of that was already being done. And the students work uh, in the, on independent study uh, where they, they'll meet their teacher one day a week or one day in, in, out of 20 days, uh, we'll meet with them. And then, for example, in our homeschool program, the, the parents are the primary instructors and the teachers uh, support the parent to do that instruction. Um, and so the students that we had enrolled with us, we didn't see a lot of learning loss because they were already used to that distance learning uh, because that's what they came to us for to experience. Hmm. Now, that's interesting. Now, you also take care of uh, or have part of your population uh, are special needs kids, right? How, how were, were the effects or, or, or the fact that most of your students, because they were already familiar with a out of classroom setting not affected. Were there any uh, special considerations that came up with that population? We actually have a large uh, population of uh, of students with uh, with active IEPs. Uh, we have about a seventeen percent oh, IEP IEP individualized that? education program. Uh, so okay. every student who is in special ed will have an individual individualized uh, education program. Um, exactly, you know, to meet their goals and, and what to address their needs. Um, so we have about 17% of our student enrollment is special ed, uh, special education and, and required special services. Uh, it, it's, it's a high percentage, uh, especially for a charter school. Uh, and so again, being, um, being the structure that we are in independent study, they were, did receive the, the support not only in person, uh, but also through, uh, through other vendors and online resources, and also in person during that time as well. Hmm. Uh, Tiffany, I want to go back to you and, and talk a little bit more about what you found back in the classroom. Uh, your, your children were used to uh, bricks and mortar, just traditional education. And I know fifth grade is a special time. It, not that there's not, a, a, that childhood isn't completely special, but it's a special and unique time. How did you find the kids adapting when they moved back and forth from that online setting back into the classroom? Um, what surprised you or did you notice about um, how they showed up when, when they came back in the class? Um, what, well, what I realized is, um, you know, my class is like a big family. And so what happened was that if you could imagine if you, when, when 
COVID hit, that was when your whole family was basically suddenly disrupted and you were no longer in the classroom anymore. And it kind of rocked, you know, it rocked our world a little bit just because we were trying to figure out how to do this new, uh, how to do this new way of school. And so what I think um, I've noticed the most since we've been back is that the kids are super resilient. They are awesome. They work hard. They want to be back in school. I think they have a greater appreciation for being back in school because they know what it was like to not be in school. And um, you know, there were really positive things that came out of that you know, brief time that we were on distance learning. The kids, their technology uh, literacy is through the roof. They have really developed um, uh, a, an ability to learn wherever they're at. And what I did love was the, the uh, fluidness of going when we, so we went back to school First, we were full distance, then we were a hybrid half school and day. And then, um, and, and then I'd have, I had like 20 kids um, in person, 10 kids online, and we just, I had did everything all at the same time. It was, and um, what was nice was that if there was a kid who was sick, they could stay home and they could still be taught and still get their learning. And um, I just think that the, the, what I noticed is that the kids did need more help in the area of social emotional learning. That I noticed that what they struggled with the most was learning how to be together again. <laughs> um, Tell us more about that. What, how, how so? Well, I think that they got used to being in front of a computer. I mean, it was just a short amount of time, but it was long enough that when they were back in person, that then they, um, they needed to develop that trust again in their classmates, that trust in their teacher, because we know that students who trust their teacher, trust their school, their classmates, their environment, that they're going to be more willing to take risks and to make mistakes. And that's when the real learning happens. And so knowing that we needed to build that community, that I, at least in our school district, we have really put a strong focus on that social emotional learning and helping to develop those relationships, those strong relationships with our students so that they feel that they are a integral part of our classroom and that they're needed and that we want them to be here. Because these kids spend more time with me often than they do with their own families at home. Right, right. Gail, I want to come back to you on this. You hear uh, Tiffany's experience, and you've spoken quite eloquently to the whole issue of um, some of the, the mental health needs that are emerging. Can you give us your perspective looking over the entire county as to what you and your colleagues are, are seeing and feeling that most needs to be responded to? So I think whenever I'm speaking to people about the trauma that we experienced in the last two and a half years, I always say that as a global society, we have experienced trauma. And that trauma ranges from, you know, you may have lost a loved one to COVID or may somebody was very sick, impacted, uh, their health was impacted because of, of COVID. You may have had loss of wages. You may have had law, uh, you know, you may have been laid off from your work. Uh, so there was an a negative um, economic impact to you or just your daily routine being upended uh, in its in of itself 
is a traumatic experience. So if you think about globally, we as a global society have been traumatized for two, two and a half years because of this virus. And that trauma is gonna manifest itself in very different ways. So as Tiffany was talking about when the kids were coming back, um, what teachers were telling me was that they were seeing children who had uh, maybe elevated behaviors that they did not necessarily have before. So um, maybe they were a child that rarely got into trouble or rarely needed to be redirected. That has changed because it's almost as if they needed social skills to be taught to them again as to how are they interacting. I happened to zoom in on a preschool and it only had 12 kids or 12 four-year-olds um, that were learning online. And that was like herding cats for 30 minutes. I mean, I was blown away. So, but just think about like four-year-olds who really don't have any experience, you know, coming to a classroom, sitting, you know, crisscross applesauce so that they can, you know, sit on a carpet and listen to a teacher and not, you know, speak out and, and some just basic social skills. Um, all the way up to our teens, uh, we were seeing more concerns with mental health issues with our teens, uh, more self-destructive behavior, more self-destructive uh, talk. Um, and I think that we um, always we always focus on the kids. And I think as educators, it's our inclination to always focus on the kids. As the leader of schools and public education in Placer County, I'm also worried about the staff too, because I think the staff has been traumatized as well. Um, and so we are seeing um, a high degree of teacher and staff burnout that I think concerns me as well. Uh, we had a record number of resignations and retirements this past year. Uh, people who left the profession before retirement age or individuals who decided to retire early um, because of the level of stress and the demands that were put upon them. So even though COVID is being managed in our community, in our state, in our country right now, we're gonna have after effects in the area of socialization um, that Tiffany discussed. We're going to have after effects with mental health um, for, for, for many years to come. And, and so we need to get a handle of that sooner rather than later. Hmm. Steve, you, the populations that you deal with in terms of your, your student base, you had said that um, because of the fact that people were used to, the, the children were used to dealing with uh, a non-traditional uh, setup in terms of how it is that you deliver education, that they didn't experience some of the challenges that Gail and Tiffany are, are talking about. What do you think that, what learnings, because you've worked um, in, in, on both in charter, but also in traditional public education as well. What learnings do you think uh, that you that you and your colleagues have been able to experience that might be helpful regardless of what setting kids are in that the world is just going to have to adapt to in the future? And maybe we as a community have not caught up to where it is that the kids are at this moment. Yeah, definitely. I think just uh, providing options for students uh, where, again, what we're finding over the last few years, we've seen that you know not all students learn in the traditional setting. Uh, being in a classroom of 25, 30, 35 students uh, just doesn't work for everyone. And having at the secondary level, having you know six or seven teachers, uh, you know multiple teachers throughout the day, it doesn't work for all students. 
Uh, and I think so, you know, trying to provide flexibility and trying to find what works for students uh, and bringing them from where they're at, uh, up, um, I think is key. And it, that, that's where it gets to be challenging because, uh, you know, not all systems can do that. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, for example, um, in my previous jobs, again, I've, I've been with, uh, with traditional uh, K-12 systems and also county houses of education uh, and now with a charter school. In my previous job, um, we educated all students who were expelled uh, from their schools and for, for a variety of reasons. And what we did is we just put them in a classroom with 10 to 15 other expelled students and expected them to succeed. Uh, and then so we went into, into the shutdown with COVID. We really thought we were going to lose these students uh, academically. And we actually found that they performed better uh, not really? having to be in the classroom. Really? It was it was interesting when, when I personally talked to the students, they would tell me that, you know, I do better because I don't have to worry about the drama in the classroom. I don't have to worry about the hard look across the, 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 the lunch uh, room. Um, I can wake up when I want. I can do my work. I can contact my teacher when I want. I, I can perform when I'm ready, not at eight o'clock when I have to go to school and sit in this classroom and worry about who's in the classroom with me in all that drama or even walking to school. Uh, looking over my back and so we're, we're seeing that it's uh, those those individual um those individual approaches to students really help and even personally uh with my family with my daughter uh we're seeing that as well uh where she was at a conference of high school she was failing several of her classes uh so we actually put her in a charter school uh and now with the charter school the, the nice thing about it is that one teacher has a caseload of 26 students. In a traditional high school, 30 students per class, you have six or seven periods a day. A teacher will have to see 150 to 180 students every single day. It's hard to build those connections uh, in those relationships. When you're in a charter school with 26 to one, those, those teachers can build individual relationships with those students and see what they need, provide them the services um, to, to fill in those gaps. It's interesting, Gail, you know, there have always been <clears throat> conversations about uh, the importance of public education and the importance of the mission that they serve in our society. I'm curious, though, there are learnings that, you know, Tiffany spoke to and you, you everybody on this uh, uh, show has spoken to that have come out because there's been negative, but there has been positive. What are the limitations, though, that we as a society have to deal with in order to, to take to address the challenges that have emerged at the end of the pandemic, but to take some of those learnings and put them into place? Uh, uh, because it, it would seem that sometimes public education moves a bit slower than where society is at. So I think, you know, Steve um, is a great example with Visions in Education being an independent study, non-seat-based, I mean, a, a non-seat-based charter school, that there are children who do not thrive in a classroom of 20 to 30 children. And there are children who thrive in a much more unique 
educational setting. And charter schools and independent study schools have really uh, come to surface in the last couple of years as a vehicle for families who may have a child uh, who, who thrives in, in that type of environment. And I would agree. I anecdotally would hear of families that said, my child was having problems at school. And actually, this distance learning has resolved those issues for him. And now he can focus much more of his time on his academics than what he was worrying about what was happening before school at recess or in the lunchroom. So, you know, those I think we have to really look at that. Um, I think it's important pre-COVID, there was only two ways in which you could educate children in California. You could educate kids in public schools uh, in a seat-based program, which means that you have a child that's sitting in a classroom 180 days uh, a year. And California public schools are funded on the average number of students that are sitting in a classroom 180 days a year versus independent study, which is a type of program that Steve is running over at Visions, where you are, that children have a great deal of more flexibility. So as Steve mentioned, st students can meet with their teacher one day a week, or they can meet with their teacher one day every 20 days. And then there's other socialization opportunities, and there's probably drop-in lab and tutoring opportunities for, for those students and families to get some maybe in, intensive instruction. But those were the only two options in California. In, in March of 2020, uh, with the executive order that was signed, um, was the first time that California public schools were allowed to do distance learning, which means we were funded. Um, it did not equate to the number of students that were uh, in attendance on an average day. It was, you were basically funded on your enrollment. We were held harmless, so we weren't gonna lose any money. Um, and we were able, and we had to uh, quickly adapt to an online um, presence and online learning. And before COVID, there were many school districts throughout the state of California that were lobbying for greater flexibility to do some sort of online learning. California um, has really fallen behind other states in the nation for their ability to do online learning. Um, and that could have been something like in high school, where you had a child attend maybe two or three sections a day, but maybe wanted to take a college course um, online there uh, in the afternoon. There was no mechanism, no funding mechanism for that child to do that in California by attending school in the morning and then taking online courses in the afternoon. There was no mechanism. You can't be dual enrolled in traditional public education and an independent study uh, program at the same time to achieve that. So um, I think that um, that is something that California, I think, really needs to look moving forward. Um, the popularity of independent study programs are not going to go away. Um, they've had a, a strong following for a couple of decades, and so I don't see that waning. But I do think that there are opportunities that are very positive instructional opportunities for school districts to figure out how they can do a more blended learning rather than an all or nothing. You're either in the classroom 180 days or you're on independent study. And California hasn't figured that out yet. So this executive order will expire at some point. This is not in permanent law. Oh, I, there's been so many executive orders. I can't keep track of them. Okay. Um, that one has expired, I believe. That, that one has that, expired. Well, because well, that was well, distance learning. That was distance learning, and that was March through March 2020 through June of 2021. Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, right? I believe Tiffany? you're correct on that. 
And then last year, which was August of 2021 through June of 2022, we were back to normal. There was no, there, you had to do independent study or you had to be in class 180 days a year. And, and so, well, then Tiffany, what that brings me to is I could have sworn you said, said that if someone was sick and we're in our final moments here, that potentially they could still get instruction being at home. It, it, is that working at all? Are you yes. doing that at all? Yeah. So um, during COVID, one of the really awesome things that came out, for example, was that like, I created a YouTube channel. And I had all of my math lessons that I pre-recorded. So I have 120 math lessons all recorded that teach an entire math lesson. So for those kids who didn't catch my live um, uh, ad administration of that lesson, then they could go back and watch that video at home. So if they stayed home, I did have an online learning system that they were able to log in to that um, system. They could see what I had taught for the day. They could watch the videos. Um, that went along with the learning for the day. So that was something that was created during the time of COVID, but has been able to be carried on and through into the future. And so it's awesome. It, if, or if they don't understand, I have a lot of parents who watch the videos to know what to do to watch uh, to help their kids. Okay, so that, that's big news. And I would say it's a mixed bag because great news for parents. I'm not sure as a kid who loved not to have to do homework when I was homesick from school, don't know how good that is. But folks, we're going to leave it there. Um, best to all of you in uh, your work in looking out and educating our kids. Um, thank you all and best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Right. And that's our show. Thanks to our guests and thanks to you for watching Studio Sacramento. I'm Scott Syfax. See you next time right here on KVIE. Thank you for listening to Studio Sacramento from KVIE Public Television. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to help others find it. All episodes of Studio Sacramento, along with other KVIE programs, are available to watch online at kvie.org video.